Welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. I honestly do love hearing from listeners of this show. In fact, if you've heard the last three episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment, you know that there is now a way that you can actually call and talk to me on the phone. Last week's guest is doing the same thing. I'll be sharing details about that again during today's episode. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Kansas City, Missouri, my guest spent 10 years living and working in Nashville at the start of his music career. He is a singer, composer, multi-instrumentalist, producer, and arranger who is in the process of releasing a new album featuring 24 songs. In addition, he is working on a new body of work, plus he has a film production company for which he has written and scored hundreds of short films and documentaries. He also wrote a book, endorsed by many Grammy Award-winning and nominated engineers, titled What the Pros Use, which chronicles what the top engineers in New York, Los Angeles, Nashville, and Miami use to track 31 instruments, including the voice. And my guest has given concerts all over the U.S. and abroad. You've been hearing a song of his called Virtues. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Michael McGlynn. Hello, Bruce. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you, Michael. So much to talk about today. I'm excited to have you on the show and dig into all of this. Let's start first, though, by having you share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called Virtues. Virtues started with me walking into a secondhand music store off Music Row and picking up a nylon guitar. I had never played one. I brought it home, and within a couple of days, I wrote Virtues. Wow. And what was really awesome about it is that I was living north of the city on a 58-acre property renting this home, and it was gorgeous. I had this paved horseshoe drive up to the house that I rented Mm. 150 yards off the road, and it was kind of the house was parked between two large hills. I had just watched a film. I believe it might have been called Excalibur or something of that sort. It was about the Knights of the Round Table. And I remember the morning, it was a Saturday morning and I woke up and there was this dense fog outside and it reminded me of some of the scenes in the film. And so I had this idea in my head. I already had the the music written for Virtues. It just kind of, I wrote the whole song within about five minutes, the music. Mm. And I'm not really that prolific, so I don't want to give any ideas that, oh, wow, that's nice to have that ability. Uh, It just happened. (laughs) And I remember going into the writing that morning, okay, I got to put some lyrics to this thing. And I was thinking about the whole prince, uh, princess dynamic. And that's what came out in the lyrical content. Interestingly enough, it would be many years later, I was actually at my old alma mater, University of Notre Dame, they built a fine arts center, and I went up there to give a series of concerts. And a guy had gotten a hold of my CD and took me out, and uh, we went to dinner. 
and it was a, it was through a friend of a friend, so I kind of trusted this contact, and he told me what that song was really about, mm. and it was amazing to me that I didn't realize the depth that I was writing wow. about, and and so I was like, wow, I didn't realize that that song was really about the woman at the well. So I'm a Catholic, and I live my faith. I kind of you know bring that into my music in one way or another, and I didn't realize it, but absolutely, that song was about the woman at the well, about a woman who had been betrayed by many men and had never found a man honorable in her life that was looking past her physical presence into her soul and would be willing to die for her. Mm. And it was interesting because when we recorded the song in Leaper's Fork, which is just south of Nashville, I was recording at Chester Thompson's studio. He was a drummer for Genesis and Phil Collins for many years. And uh, I brought Edwin Benia in from Gloria Estefan's band. He's the main percussion uh, player for her band and and first call guy in Miami. And he just couldn't get past those lyrics, which was great for me because I was a nobody working with this Mm. master. And he's like, wow. And he called his wife from the studio and said, can I play her the song? And I was like, "Wow." wow, pretty cool. Wow. And, you know, it's always impressive when someone will come to a songwriter and tell them, your song touched me, this is what it meant to me, it spoke to me, and maybe it's a little different interpretation or obviously a different perspective. But when someone can say that to a songwriter, this is what I gained from your song, and they go way deeper than you thought was possible, that's kind of one of those wow moments for you where you step back and say, you've kind of outdone me. It's like it's like a magician pulling something out of their hat and then someone comes and pulls a car out of the hat instead. You know, it's an interesting point. I It was an unexpected gift. And, you know, of course, we're going to miss things in life. So on a certain level, you know, we're hopefully we're going to learn things about ourselves from other people that we couldn't see. When, like I say, when you're blind, you don't know what you're blind to, right? But in this case, it was interesting, though, because... I had a very uh, strong routine of prayer every day before I would write. So I was working a basically a job at the top pro audio rental company in Nashville on the night shift from four to midnight. And I'd get home and sing until probably three in the morning. Mm. And then I'd get up in the morning and then I would write for several hours and then I would pray for another hour. And then I would head in and go to a noon mass I do about 30, 40 minutes of adoration, and then I'd go to work. And so I wasn't going out. I wasn't partying. I was in Nashville to get something done. And I did this for years. This was my routine. This this was my rule, if you will. And so for me, it's amazing because I knew that I wanted to write a body of work that was positive. You know, I was working in and out of the studios. I was interfacing with producers, engineers, all the time, I was getting a sense for what was going on. And I was like, you know, I didn't wait my entire life to pursue music to fit into a mold. And so I knew in penning this album that I, I wasn't necessarily writing for radio. Mm. I wasn't going to write jingles and that I wasn't going to be limited by labels, not just record labels, but, but yeah. particular identifiable labels, yeah. which I knew was a risky proposition because it's a business after all. But I decided to write with every color that came to me because I waited my whole life to do this. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. Beautiful. And so to later learn that, you know, this guy would go on and go through all 12 songs. And I was, for some of them, I was truly amazed. I was like, wow, 
um, there was depth in what I was doing, but I couldn't perceive the depth in the moment because I just wasn't able to see. It took someone else to show me, which I find to be really beautiful because that's what artists have the that's what artists have the ability to do is help people open and go places they maybe couldn't go on their own. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And folks, it's interesting, as Michael was describing the studio, I pictured in my head, because I've been there, I pictured Boneyard Recordings, which is outside of Nashville, Matt Sherrod, he's the drummer for Crowded House. He was the guest on episode 104 of this show, and I got to visit Matt at Boneyard Recordings up in Nashville, and that's what it sounded like Michael was describing until he said Chester Thompson Studio, so I'm glad that the clarification was made, but Hold on to Michael having just told us about the song Virtues, because I'm going to come back around to that shortly. But first, since he started to go there, Michael, give the audience a little bit more insight as to the foundation that your music career is built on. Tell us about my having said during the intro that you spent the first 10 years in the business in Nashville, which, oh, by the way, came after a successful college football career at Notre Dame when your teammates were hoping to get drafted into the NFL, and you possibly could have too, but you had your sights set on music. Yeah, that's true. I I told my my coach, who was Lou Holtz, kind of a legendary football coach, I said, I'm not interested in trying to make it in the league. Um, I, I came back for a fifth year. I was invited to come back. I graduated in four years and came back and helped the team out again. And I'm like, look, I'm done. I'm burnt out. I'm ready to move on and, and really pursue my life's aspirations. So I, I made, moved to Nashville in uh, August of 95, and I picked up a job at a pro audio rental company, and that gave me access to studios. It also gave me access to equipment. Mm. I was a guy that in high school, you know, all the athletes I was around, you know, it's typical. You got pictures of, you know, these, these pro athletes in your locker. What do I have pictures of? guitar amps, pieces of equipment, you know, and, and, you know, I admit on, on a certain level, it definitely probably was a form of idolatry. Mm. Um, but I was also like any young kid, I was trying to grapple with the question, who am I? Why am I here? And what is this all about? And for me, you know, music was always the easiest thing for me to do from a very young age. My father played music in the home all the time on guitar Mm. And I picked up a guitar when I was three years old and started just, you know, strumming strings. Whoa. It always came natural to me. And so I had this formation growing up that no one had to push me. When I was in high school, when I wasn't playing sports, I would put on an easy listening jazz station and just play solos to it constantly. And so this was just kind of the way that God built me, if you will, and going to Nashville began to provide structure and formation that I needed, and also mentorship as well. The mentorship piece and what I got to experience in 10 years was absolutely amazing. I kind of described it as, you know, learning how to be a chef in a gourmet grocery store where you have access to everything you can imagine, the best culinary equipment, including the best chefs. Mm. And that's what Nashville was for me. Yeah, you graduated from Notre Dame, and then you got an entirely different education by going to Nashville for 10 years. And speaking of the things that Michael's referring to, congratulations to the winner of the Focusrite Scarlet 2i2 USB audio interface. I got copied on the email that Focusrite sent to the winner last Wednesday, February 1st. 
all throughout January, you heard me talking about that giveaway. And congratulations to Focusrite themselves. Their Claret Plus Octopre won a Sound on Sound magazine for Best Microphone Preamp. As you will be hearing later in this interview when Michael McGlynn talks about the book that he wrote, Pro Audio Quality is Essential in Any and All of Your Recording Projects, and Focusrite is a leader in the industry. You hear me talk about them every week. In fact, Claret Plus builds on Focusrite's many decades of experience manufacturing cutting-edge recording technology. It features studio-quality sound by using components that outshine even its more expensive competitors like Apollo or Apogee. Each Claret Plus interface includes the Hitmaker Expansion Bundle, featuring over $1,000 worth of free plugins from AutoTune, Brainworks, Marshall, Relabs, and XLN Audio. I myself am a more than satisfied Focusrite user, and you will be too when you use something from their Claret Plus range. On my podcast website, nhte.net, look for Focusrite's ad for their Vocaster. It's in the right-hand column on desktop, or on mobile, scroll way down to just below the block of social media logos to see it. The ad says, tell the world. Tap or click on that ad to go over to Focusrite's website and roll up your sleeves with extensive details about the Claret Plus range for top quality audio results. Michael, you told us about the song Virtues, which was played at the beginning of this episode, but now share with us all about this new album that's currently releasing, which is also called Virtues and has some really notable players. Great question. Thank you. Back in 1998, I was in and out of studios, and I started to notice a certain general malaise with some of the studio musicians, and I also noticed the kind of the the jingle nature of the music being cut. Nothing wrong with it. But again, I mentioned it earlier. I was like, you know, I didn't wait my whole life to fit into a box. It wasn't a pride issue, more as it was a discovery issue. Mm. And so I didn't want to be limited. And so everything kind of got set once I found that nylon guitar. I had grown up on, you know... John Denver, Jim Croce, Peter Paul and Mary, the Kingston Trio. These are the songs that my father played growing up. Mm. And so I grew up kind of on that country folk, melodic type of guitar music. And then when I was in high school, I was like any other kid trying to learn the rock music and mm-hmm. scales and all that stuff. And then when I was in college, I kind of gravitated to country. And because I'm a tenor, I gravitated to people like Vince Gill that had a high voice and things of this sort. Mm. I was looking for influences, but at some point, you know, you've got to cut bait with that and begin to listen interiorly. And so that's kind of what happened to me when I discovered that nylon guitar. That was a really important pivotal moment in my musical journey. I kind of set down the acoustics and I went a different direction. And just as a sidebar, I remember my parents visiting Nashville and when I played them the tracks for Virtues, like they just burst into tears Mm. because you know, I'm Irish and Italian. <laughs> I don't come from a Latin Brazilian uh, background, you know, and yet I got the music like I was born in it. And I wouldn't describe my music as Latin music at all. It pulls from those influences, certainly percussively. But, you know, working with Edwin Benia, who's this great percussion player, influenced my guitar playing more than any other guitar player has ever. Mm. Literally, I was rewriting and I was writing new songs for the album 
after we finished, we tracked the first three songs in the album. And he said, look, I'll stay the course with you on this project. And that was a big win for me. Yeah. Because here I am, this guy working at a pro audio rental company in Nashville. I'm a nobody. I have no credentials in terms of music at all. And yet here was a guy that believed in my music and believed in what I was doing and said, this is happening and fresh. I haven't heard anything like this before. Mm. And it was also exciting for him and the other players because they do have the producer reins get pulled back on them when they're doing pop projects, sure. you know? And so here's this kid saying, no, let's try this. Let's do this. That sounds great. Instead of doing two congas, let's bring in four and let's do alternate tunings. And I was learning about these sorts of things as well. So not to go down that wormhole, it was a great moment of discovery for me. And so working with these great players, being mentored, and then working in the environment where I was interfacing with producers, I was seeing their methodology of tracking the voice and different instruments. And I remember calling Gary Gazaway one day, Grammy Award winning engineer for Allison Krauss. He lived right up the road from me. And I was like, I'm getting ready to go record this guy who's a world-renowned accordion player it was for the third song on the album called patience and i wanted it was set to a cha-cha rhythm and i wanted a little bit of an accordion on it mm. and i said what do i use he said well mike he goes that's a full frequency instrument why don't you just grab the cold ribbon mics the 4038s run them through some need 1073s boom you're there you know i had the ability to pull together you know uh a recording chain worth thousands of dollars yeah. and get it done and get this great pristine recording of this great master. And so, you know, you can't buy experiences like that. I and I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity. But 24 songs. So there's, correct me if I'm wrong on this, there's 12 that are instrumentals and then 12 that have vocals. And is this actually being released physical units? So it's a like a double CD? Yeah, so I'm going to release these digitally, but it is essentially a double, essentially a double disc set, if you will. So the story on this is that I wrote these 12 songs and recorded lots of other voices, if you will. I love melodies, and so I didn't want to be limited by just what my voice eked out and what the lyrics eked out. Mm. And as a matter of fact, when we were tracking, I would do, I would set up alternate mics. So for instance, uh, there's a song on the album Mercy I use. Uh, I wanted a, um, a muted trumpet, and I wanted kind of a Miles Davis feel with some choppiness. I was able to get Gary Gazaway, who's a jazz virtuoso. And lots of guys on this album are jazz people, just because they've got the IQ. They know articulation, and that's what I needed. I didn't want to explain it. I wanted them to get it and feel it with minimal direction, and that's what they delivered. But in the case of recording him, you know, that was a microphone right up, right up on his, his uh, trumpet. But then I went ahead and set up uh, some really nice large diaphragm room mics, and we recorded in this big, huge warehouse. Because I was very influenced by the recordings that Ry Cooter had done with the Buena Vista Social Club down in Cuba. I loved the natural feel. It was organic. It breathed. And it was capturing real performances. You know, Bruce, you got to keep in mind, I'm working in Nashville during a massive paradigm shift in recording. Okay, things are going from two-inch tape to 48 track digital tape mm. to hard disks. Okay. Wow. Outboard gear is being reworked in plug-in form to go on a computer. Okay. So all these things are taking place and you know, then you've got things like pro tools that are coming out 
and then auto-tune coming out. And, and what does this mean, you know? And so I was really sensitive. I was there when engineers and producers were having these conversations about an artist that the label's pushing that can't seem to hit the mark. And so a guy's got to come in and tune their vocals. Yeah. And so instinctually, I just was like, you know, I listened back to some of those old recordings from the 70s and 80s. And even our, our kids growing up got it. My son would come and go, Dad, why do these Sinatra recordings sound so amazing? And I was explaining mm. to him sonically what's going on. But I'm like, I'm like, Charlie, these guys are playing it live. Like, you're experiencing a moment. They're not overdubbing. Yeah. There's not 15 takes on a guitar solo. That's right. This is happening. These guys have the chops. And so that really framed in uh, my approach that I wanted to take because I wasn't learning gear just because I loved gear. I knew that I was going to have to self-produce this album mm. and do some of the journeyman recording because I wasn't going to have a million dollar budget to pull this off. Yeah, I was going to have to bootstrap this thing. And that's exactly what happened. So I had to learn how to do basic tracking and praise be God. I had people around me willing to show me. Wow. Wow. And folks, You've heard Michael mention just a couple of the names, but musicians from the Allman Brothers Band, John Tesh, Bella Fleck, and the Flecktones. I mean, the list goes on here. A lot of really great people that he was able to get involved with this new album. And so, Michael, my question is, with such a diverse lineup of players on the Virtues Project, it makes for a really unique sound. It, it's said that your music spans world, jazz, folk, liturgical, and soundtrack genres. When I listened to the two songs you sent me, I felt like you were really successful in finding the right recipe to blend the styles of the various musicians who were on the project and your own sound. But was that easier said than done? Or does this go back to studying music theory, being a composer? Maybe that helps navigate that challenge. I think the most important thing that I continue to learn as an artist, but also as a human being, is how to listen and not just listen with my ears, but how to remove my own bias. Mm. Yeah, constantly being shown beams in my own eye. And I had a really important experience early on in the recording. I had written a quartet section for Virtues that we just played. And I had the thing exactly the way that I wanted it. We went to go track it with three musicians, and then we were going to double it and then do some overdubs. And I walked away from that recording going, this is wrong. Mm. Like, this is not working. Like, they didn't nail it. And I didn't know if it was just me being, like, really inexperienced in particular or if it was just a miss. And I went ahead and rebooked it again. Mm. And we did it again. And the second time what came out was much better, but it wasn't my vision. Yes, they played what I wanted, but it was how they played it that was different. And... I stepped away for probably about a month and a half and I came back to it and I listened to it again. And I was like, this is genius. What these people gave me was so much better than anything I could have articulated on mm. paper. Wow. And it was from that point on that it became a learning moment. Like Michael, you have to give room to these people. Look, if you want to lock this thing down and have absolute control, then just rely upon samples. Play it all yourself off a keyboard. Yeah. But if you want to go somewhere new, then be open. And that's what I did. And yeah, there's times that I had to produce the thing and, and, and give feedback. But from that point on, I really tried to pick musicians that 
I believe would be able to understand what I was trying to do, but then lend their own creativity and virtuosity to it. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. It gets to a point where, and it's a battle in the music industry for sure, where you have to put your ego aside and say, listen, this person is a far more accomplished accordion player. This person's a far more accomplished drummer. This person's a far more accomplished insert instrument here. The list goes on. I need to let them excel at what their gift is instead of letting my ego saying it needs to be this way or no way at all. Well, I mean, in this case, like take that times 10, it'd be one thing if I was signed to Sony and had a label behind me, Mm. that wasn't the case. Uh, there, this wasn't produced with some big budget. I was a no-namer. These people were helping me. Yeah, I was paying them, but I wasn't paying them certainly what they normally would be worth. They were doing this because they believed in me and the music. And so I had to make some concessions, and I had to be smart about that, though, as to not give away the heart and soul of the project. And I never did. I was incredibly fortunate to be able to ask for certain players. I remember being at the NAMM show in Nashville, and I had just spoken to a friend of mine who was an engineer, and I said, you know what I need on this album? I really need a great fretless player. He goes, oh my goodness, I've got the guy for you. Mm. You need to record with uh, with, um, O'Teal Burbridge. He goes, this guy is a jazz virtuoso. He's out with the Allman Brothers right now. He's got his own band. He's like Jaco Pastores is his hero. This guy's a great player. And so in any event, uh, I was going to meet him at the NAMM show, my buddy, the engineer, and we were going to try to find him. And so I'm on the floor and we're talking about this and he goes, oh my goodness, Mike, he's right behind you. (laughs) Actually, I back up. I got the story messed up. I was at the NAMM show describing to him who I want, the type of player I wanted. And he's telling me about this guy. And all of a sudden, he's like, Mike, you're not going to believe this. He's standing <laughs> in the booth right behind us. And so we went over and made the intro, and it was the same type of thing. We got to know each other. I sent him the guide track, the demo, because I did demo all the songs initially. I had to for my own purposes and for, mm. for composition. Mm-hmm. And he ended up doing the whole project with me. We became really good friends. And it was that type of process uh, of learning and being mentored. It was incredible. Well, it's a great story, but you know, for those of us in the industry, we, we know, especially at, even though it doesn't seem to be around anymore, even at the Nashville version of the NAM show, those are the types of connections that happen. Those are the types of stories that you make. I remember the first time that I went to the Nashville version of the NAM show, and I was amazed at how I would literally turn around and bump into someone that I knew. Of course, I was comparing it to the NAM show in Anaheim, which is so massive, and I had had limited exposure out there that it was eye-opening to me. And I will be, folks, at the NAMM show in Anaheim in April, so please be in touch if you're going to be there. Let's make some plans to meet up. Michael, back in the intro, I mentioned that you have a new body of work that you're currently working on, which, appropriately enough, is titled Something New in Me. I'm tempted to say, wow, so fast, right, as this massive Virtues project is being released, but I'm thinking you're going to say that Virtues was seven years in the making. So it's not like you just finished writing and recording that, and now we're immediately jumping right back into even more. Am I right? Because maybe the title, Something New in Me, gives that away. These are fresh, brand-new songs you've, for all intents and purposes, just written, I'm thinking. That's true, yeah. So here's here's the story with, with my little arc of my life. I moved to Nashville. I finally have this 
uh, epiphany of doing a body of work called Virtues. And I commenced writing and recording it over seven years. Why did it take that long, by the way? And I'm going to get to your question, but this is tied to it. Um, I was writing guitar parts and I was singing vocal lines that I didn't have the chops to complete. I actually had to learn how to use my voice again. I had to train vocally. I had to work on my chops as a guitar player mm. in order just to play what I was writing. Okay. And so that was part of why it took so long. The other thing was that I was working a full-time job and I was <laughs> self-funding this thing as well. So, and I was also learning as well. So it, it was what it was. When I finished Virtues, we had just had our second child. I was playing the song. I was pitching it. And the whole goal was to go tour. I had all these great musicians, a lot of backing. And I literally heard God say one day, while I was playing with our son on the floor, where the song is, Virtues is playing in the background. Mm-hmm. You have to set this aside. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Mm. And, and I recognized the voice. And so I tested it. And I continued to try to pitch it. I kept hearing the same thing. We love the music. It's incredible. We don't know what to do with it. Mm. And no doors open. Now, if I would have continued to pitch it, would a door open? Possibly, but it would probably have been the wrong door. And I recognized that it was time to set it aside. I had to do really one of the most painful things in my life as a kid that literally grew up drawing stages and thinking about touring. (laughs) I had to set aside my life's aspiration. And um, I got a different job. In fact, the day that I printed the masters for the album, um, a number of us were fired from our job. Mm. Uh, They were downsizing, and it was amazing. It was like the timing was, that's kind of why I stayed in the job. And um, I had written the book on recording, and the guy that uh, was printing it for me uh, offered me a job. I did it for another couple of months, and then we moved to Kansas City. And I left I left my music behind. And so uh, that was it. I never released Virtues. Mm-hmm. It kind of went into um, the basement. And so over the course of many years now, I've started a film production company. I've been raising a family. I go out and, and give you know concerts and talks and do little one-off pieces here, but have never pursued uh, music full time. And, and so that's fine. I'm at peace with what's happened to my life. But m- more opportunities have come along, and I recognized a couple of years ago that I've got to get back and get back into writing again because mm. I feel so alive. I feel I feel most hopeful. I feel closest to God, and and when I do this, like singing for me in music is effortless. It's mm. it's the easiest and most enjoyable thing really that I do when it comes to our artistic expression. And my life just goes better that way. So I started carving out more time, and from this, I began to write more and more. Of course, I was using my music and film. I was I was doing those pieces, but I wasn't really like writing for me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, you know, I, I'm not going to go try to take on big productions anymore. So writing, you know, piano compositions with voice and, and some strings or a pad where I can be soulful and, and do all these sorts of things is fantastic to me. And so the new body of work, something new in me just began to grow out of a prayer. And that is, you know, you've been working really hard. Uh, you still have the chops. I've kept my chops up. I'm, I'm singing and writing better than I ever before. I need to do this. And so it's it's a little bit odd, but I am releasing Virtues now many, many, many years after it was completed. Yeah. And the album does have a timeless nature to it, so I'm not concerned about that. 
um, I got limited time on this earth. I want to do what I can to do the best I can to put out this and to use my talents and hopefully uh, bring a lift to people's lives. And that's that's what I'm seeking to do. But set the record straight for us then. In the lead up to today, I was told that you have a small catalog of singles that are being released this year. Are those songs from Virtues or from Something New in Me or actually even more songs in addition to those two albums? Yeah, they're totally separate. Wow. Uh, there's a number of songs that I've recorded over the years. Uh, I'll, you know, there's opportunities that have come up for, you know, hey, you know, this this group or this movement uh, is looking for a song or a theme, and, and I would go for it. And I got to tell you, a lot of times I thought that it was the wink, wink, nudge, nudge that was going to be like, okay, um, I, I set aside the music, and now I'm going to get pulled back into it, and yeah. now it's going to happen. And I threw everything at it. I would write a really wonderful song. I was pleased with it and nothing would happen. Mm. And, you know, I want the listeners to get this because music is a very, very powerful, beautiful gift we've got. But at the same time, what modern day music um, not has become, but the culture around it is so directly opposed, I believe, to the simple humble gift of what it was intended for. And so that can really burn a lot of people. It can really mess a lot of people's lives up. Look, I was living, I was working and living in the business. I saw the other side of it Mm -hmm. and it was really ugly as well. And so, you know, over the years I've been at peace with the fact that, yeah, I did this incredible project with these great musicians. Yes. I've got the talent to do this. Obviously they affirmed that by working on it. And I've been able to continually demonstrate that. So I'm grateful and confident in the gifts I've been given, but I'm more assured in the fact that, and at peace with the fact that, you know, McGlynn never toured the world. And guess what? I wouldn't probably have known and have the marriage I have today Mm. and the relationship I have with our three children and all the other people that I've been able to touch their lives and they touch my lives. And so you know, there's a, there's an arc and a path that I'm on that is not my own in a sense. And by being open uh, to follow the path that's opening up for me is itself probably more exhilarating than if I would have checked all the boxes that I wanted to check for myself. Mm, wow. It's a product of maturity and also hard knocks as well, because I've, I've had to learn the hard way. I've been really, really humbled many, many times, and I, and I <laughs> probably needed it. But you know what, Bruce? it's made my artistry better because today when I go out or when I sit and sing and write, I'm writing and singing for an audience of one. Mm. And it's not a self absorbed type of thing. I'm doing it out of full joy. And the music is just a way to communicate that, you know, um, God's blessed me tremendously. I want to give back and say, thank you and make a return on that. So, um, for an audience of one or an audience of whomever, it doesn't matter. Um, my music has gotten better because I think I'm more out of the way than ever. Outstanding. Outstanding. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Kansas City, Missouri, by singer, composer, multi-instrumentalist, producer, and arranger Michael McGlynn. To preview his music that you've been hearing him talk about, go to faceofmercy.com and click or tap into the music section. I will put a direct link to that area of his website on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. 
Coming up, I will be asking Michael, among other topics, about having done the scoring for hundreds of short films and documentaries, and I'll also be giving you a website you can go to to check out the work that he's doing in that arena. By the way, there is a contact page on faceofmercy.com so you can get in touch with Michael that way. Speaking of getting in touch, my apologies, folks. I left something out of last week's interview with Daniel Mock. I was saying on that episode that he and I got connected with each other thanks to the OWL app that I've been talking about the last few weeks. I once again invited you to call me through there, and I told you where you can get all those details, but I did not give Daniel an opportunity to talk about using OWL. The good news, though, is that I can redeem myself by reminding you that you can not only call me, but call him, too, on there, and lots of other people, for that matter. This is not a sponsor, by the way. It's honestly something that I've embraced as a way of folks just like you getting in touch with me. I have to repeat something that I've been saying, which is that people are actually calling me on there. These are voice calls on the phone. It's not that thing that a lot of creators, influencers, whatever we're doing, where you would see them publish a number and you just knew it wasn't really them that you would be texting with or calling or whatever. Here's how you can call me, call Daniel Mock, call other people, start making great connections. Either go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and tap or click anywhere you see that it says home, or simply head straight to nowhearthis.net, which of course is H-E-A-R. And whichever way you get there, simply then look at the article whose headline is Help Now a Phone um, App Call Away. That will give you not only the link for the OWL app in the App Store or for Google Play, but I've also got an invitation code in there for what you'll need and want. And by the way, this is OWL with two W's and two L's. Michael, we've been talking about so, so much new music that you're doing. It begs the question, will you be going out to perform some of this new music live in order to try to create awareness of and sales for all that you're releasing? You know, I'm not focused on the sales of the music. I just want to get it out there and be able to share it. I haven't placed any financial conditions on on any of this at all. And so I'm not concerned about that. And, and, you know, right now the Virtues album, until we kind of do an actual launch, which should come around the beginning of March, should be available on all downloadable, you know, platforms and streaming platforms is at the Face of Mercy site right now. Again, this has been a project that, that's been, you know, kind of cloistered in its, its private little community for a long time. No one knows about it. Mm. Um, I just have written a lot of music and want to start to get it out there in terms of live performances and things of that sort. You know, I do a lot of films every year and I'm very busy in that regard. So we'll see what opportunities come up. What's more realistic is that I do actually have a couple of productions in play right now where a couple of these songs might make their way into it, Uh, uh, the vocal performances. And then beyond that, I've got a nonprofit on the side where, you know, I think there's going to be some opportunities for some of the podcasty type of things and and those sorts to, to share some of the music. I go out and give talks. Um, and I call them concert talks where I kind of talk and share stories. I do a handful of those every year. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, every year is always a surprise of what doors open up. And so I like kind of walking that way. Well, and you set me up nicely. Let's shift over to the film scoring that you also do. You are, in fact, a filmmaker. I wonder, is that hat kind of the work hat, whereas doing the scoring is kind of like falling back on a longtime pursuit that it's 
so much like muscle memory that it doesn't feel like work because the temptation would be to ask you, have you ever considered just being the filmmaker and getting someone else to score the film for you? But I can't imagine you could be unbiased and turning over something that you love so much to somebody else, no matter their resume or how much you know, like, and trust them. You know, on paper, it looks like I should probably wear all the hats in this regard, especially my background. But when I started the film business back in May of 2013, I made a conscious decision that, look, people are hiring me not necessarily because of my composing abilities. They're hiring me to do a film for them. So mm -hmm. however we need to get there, we need to get there. And also, it takes time. Uh, you know, I'm doing 70-plus films a year. Mm. It's not realistic that I'm going to do uh, a score from scratch for all those films. So the way that I've leveraged my composition abilities is, yes, I sometimes will, from ground up, write the score and record it a lot of other times though um, i love to collaborate with music that's out there to me that's far more interesting than what's going on sometimes in my own mind and so i have an idea about what i'm looking for i'll find it but then i don't necessarily it's not working the way i need it to work so i'll cut it up i'll edit it sometimes i'll play parts over it because i'm like ah, you know what i'd love a hemiola line right here and i'll write it and do it and so the other thing the other piece to it though is that, you know, having a, a good music IQ and a sense of phrasing, you know, whether you're a vocalist or whatever, really helps with, with editing film. Because film story is all about pacing. You've got all these elements you're using, the visual, the dialogue, the music as well. And so you can create exciting pacing sometimes with elements that are rather dismal on their own. It's a sum of all parts. And so it kind of reminds me of working with musicians in the studio where you're bringing people together and you're making those adjustments to just get the right touch, to mm. get the perfect bell tone, if you will. In a minute, I'm going to ask you about the book that I mentioned back in the intro that you did, but it leads me to want to first ask you where you do all your music production. Do you have a home studio? As, as long as it's been since you lived in Nashville, do you maybe have a studio there that you go do some music recording at? How does that whole process come together, whether it's the music you're doing for films or whether it's a project like Virtues or Something New in Me or the other new songs you talked about? Yeah, great question, Bruce. Because of my wife's prompting of several years ago, um, we moved from the inside studio and we built a studio on our property. And so I'm in this gorgeous space. It smells like a cigar box in here. <laughs> I've got 22... Uh, windows around the clearest story level. It's not massive, but it's beautiful. It's so organic and lovely. And so this is really where I create, whether it's editing film, doing voiceover, mm. uh, or writing the music. I bought a, a spinet piano that the wood matches the natural wood grain in the studio. I gutted it out, put a controller in there. And you know the equipment. You know, these days, uh, you're modular. You can almost record anywhere. Yeah. It's about the environment and getting the performance down. So um, that's where I do my recording. Again, I'm not trying to take on projects that require 52-piece string sections like we had on Virtues and <laughs> all these sorts of things. So it, it, it works for my needs these days. But it sounds to me like with as busy as you are, this is Michael McGlynn's studio. This is not a commercial studio. <laughs> No, not at all. And I really haven't wanted to go down, down, down that path. I figured out where I kind of needed to be. And, you know, it's interesting because our kids would, you know, uh, throughout the year, we will kind of go, dad, um, have you been singing? No, dad, you need to go sing. Mm. <laughs> they know that, wow. 
you know, and he, I'm sure with all the musicians and artists that you've, you know, you've spoken to over the years, you know, that, you know, um, it's, it, it places you in such a beautiful space. And I, I think it's real simple. If you've been given a talent, and you've been blessed with the opportunity to, to, you know, bring that along and mature in it. And if it brings you joy and satisfaction, then you need to find time to do it, whether it becomes a, a commercial career or whether it's just something that you just do because it brings you joy and satisfaction. It makes you better to be around. Mm. And we need more of that today, especially if you're trying to run a family and keep everybody together, you know? Well, thank you for saying that because in this case, I needed to hear that. Usually I wonder who in the audience and where in the world they are needed to hear something that a guest said. And, you know, I think that's kind of my wake-up call for instead of grabbing the stress ball, those rubber things that you squeeze, I need to stop looking at my guitars sitting idly by and I need to pick up one of my guitars instead of grabbing that thing and bring myself some joy, as you're saying, instead of what can I do to exert my stress right now. So uh, I'm going to say thank you. Maybe there's someone in the audience who needed to hear that as well. Um, while you're talking about your studio, go ahead and share with us about what yeah. the pros use, the book that you wrote. What inspired you to write that book? Who is it for, and how can people get that book? Okay, great. A great question. Uh, what the pros use originally was just my own collection of notes. So keep in mind, uh, I'm, I'm in and out of studios all night long, delivering gear, working with producers, interfacing with engineers, things of this sort. That's where a lot of big stuff goes down at night. And so I started to make notes early on in my job because I wanted to learn mm. how to record. And so, I don't know, it must have been a, several years into the job, and I threw my back out pretty badly to the point where I was kind of laid up for several weeks. And I'm like, I've got to do something. So I borrowed my roommate's computer and started compiling the notes. And wow. they was on Post-it. I mean, it was a pig's breakfast. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute. I want to make this organized. And the next thing I knew, I'm writing a book. Mm. And then I'm like, well, I need pictures. So as I got healthy, um, I would bring in certain friends and I had access to all this equipment. And so after uh, the shift shut down at night, I pulled down a gray backdrop, set up a piece of equipment and like, Hey man, we're going to, we're going to film, you know, we're going to take pictures of, uh, you know, the, the trumpet set up tonight. And that's how I did it. And so over the course of a year, I wrote this book and it really was what the pros use from New York, uh, you know, LA, Nashville and Miami, because, you know, at least when I was there from 95 to 05, and I think this is still happening today, you had a lot of people from both coasts moving and traveling in and recording. I mean, there's a lot more than country was going on that I was witnessing. Beach oh, yeah. Boys and rock groups and opera people were coming into track. And so I'd go off Music Row to some studio like Tracking Room and, oh, the Beach Boys just showed up. They're going to go do vocals on a project. Mm -hmm. Or here's Michael Bolton. And they're bringing in their producer or their engineer. And so it really became kind of a, a worldwide draw. And I think it's still happening today. Well, what are you learning? You're picking up what these people are using. And so I had access to that information. It was incredibly invaluable because you don't even get this detail in Mix Magazine. So that's what happened. Wrote the book pitched it to a number of different groups like Nick's bookshelf. And this is where I got my first taste of business. You know, they loved it. Uh, it was endorsed by all these Grammy guys, but they wanted to tie the rights up until, you know, our children's children mm. were born. And I'm like, you know what? That's not why I did this book. 
I didn't do this, um, you know, for, for that type of gain and, and certainly to bequeath control or abdicate that to yeah. someone else. Yeah. So I chose to self-publish it. I had a website for a while. I sold a handful of copies, but honestly, over the years, I've just given away copies when I meet musicians. I connect with people whose music, you know, I license. Sometimes I'll reach out to them, start to, you know, make a connection. Hey, I love your music. And hey, let me send this to you. A lot of times these are young guys that, that are talented, but they're still learning their chops on recording. Mm. And so it, it's satisfying to be able to share with them a glimpse of what these great engineers are using to track 31 instruments. Yeah, it's a great business card. I have referred to you as a multi-instrumentalist. You play guitar, bass, and piano. I feel like the pictures that I've seen have only shown you playing piano. Is that your go-to? And then maybe guitar is a distant second. And for that matter, are you playing piano, guitar, and bass on all the recordings that you do or not necessarily because some of the different players that we talked about earlier? I am, but not simultaneously, Bruce. <laughs> that would be, although I'm sure they got some instrument that allows you to do it today. Yes, that's true. So uh, guitar was always my go-to, and uh, I had to learn the bass, honestly, out of necessity. And composing, you know, I would write a string section, drive down the road to a friend of mine, you know, who was a world-renowned, you know, cello player, or another guy that would go, you know, orchestrate, you know, the, the London symphony, you know, compo- you know, he'd be the conductor and he was living in Nashville and these guys would just tear this stuff apart and give me pointers and tell me what I'm doing right and wrong. Mm. And that's how the scores for virtues came about was just this guy that had melodies in his head that would hear things, but didn't really know what he was doing. The same thing with, with Edwin, you know, I would write these rhythms and record them on, on scratch tracks and then say, hey, Edwin, this is kind of what I want. He's like, well, that's cool. That's kind of a cha-cha rhythm with this or that. And he's explaining to me what I came up with. And then he's showing me how he's going to tune based upon the key uh. of the song. It's amazing. Like, Virtues is to, um, a, you know, I think it's like D-flat uh, major. And it didn't occur to me until well after the recording that one of the congas is actually uh, tuned. It's a dissonant. And so the other two are in the key. Mm. And it creates that tension. And I love tension. My favorite composer was Ennio Morricone. He did the score of Emission and Cinema de Paradiso and Gabriel's Oboe. I always thought more terms in melody and orchestration than I did, you know, just a kick drum and things like that. So. All that comes to roost when you're writing and, and scoring and things of that sort. So having access to this great mentorship for me was was life saving. It made it made what I did better because I had people that knew what they were doing to explain to me what I was trying to do and how I could do it better. Okay, so you mentioned before that you'll go out and give talks but also play music during it. So is that piano and guitar, or is that just piano, or is it guitar because it's more portable? Because I'm, I'm trying to nail you down on, on which one is your go-to, and maybe it's a 50-50 split. I don't know. Yeah, generally these days I'll just bring the keyboard out. Um, you know, I'd like to bring the nylon out more. What I'd love to do is, a, is a, an acoustic uh, version of, of Virtues with some new songs and stuff, and then kind of do some live things there, but... You know, really, I'm this guy that's just recorded a lot of music, but really um, the settings that most of my live performances have been in uh, have really involved more of 
all this other music. Uh, and so it, that stuff's been written for piano. Uh, voice is is obviously the main the main instrument I play, and yeah. I gotta you know give kudos to Jay Stoko, uh, who um, was uh, my vocal coach in Nashville. He was the first guy to ever put down a scope down the throat and actually see what the vocal folds do when you're singing in the lower, upper, and mid register. And so when he got a hold of me, he's like, "Man, you're driving 70 miles an hour in second gear. You're gonna burn your voice out." <laughs> and so we. Over years, I had to train with him and learn how to use my voice properly. And he taught me the technique that all the Italian tenors were taught. It's all based upon resonance and vowel sounds and things of this sort. And that was another reason why it took so long to get the project done, because I wanted to be able to sing the songs properly and effortlessly. And he really, really gave me my voice back to me in the sense of Mm. he opened up the possibility for me to do things vocally that I never thought I could do. I mean, today I can sing, um, I can take on a quasi opera piece, a Bocelli piece, a Groban piece and, and do it because of the way I've been trained. You won't hear that on the virtues album, but because of the way he trained me, I'm able to use my instrument in many different ways. And so that's, that has influenced the instruments that I use to support that. See, I think in melody first, then I think of how's the voice going to come out and the third piece is how am I going to support it musically? Mm. And I found the piano to probably be the best home for that as kind of a solo guy. Wow. Wow. Great insights. Great insights. And, you know, over the almost nine years of the show, there have been a handful of people who, among other things, are vocal coaches. I'm going to single out in particular one, which is Ken Stacy. He was on the show last March. Actually, that was only the second time in the history of Now Hear This Entertainment that it took two parts to get the episode out uh, episode 422 part one and episode 422 part two ken stacy talked about being the vocal coach for kenny loggins and others and having been uh, a first line coach on american idol he sang with ambrosia i'm going to put a link on the show page for michael's episode on nhte.net to go back and listen to ken stacy he's one of the few people that I actually went back and re-listened to my own podcast, and as much as Ken is a friend and, and I'll see him the next time I'm in L.A. or I'll text him or call him or whatever, I actually listened to my own interview with him. There was some stuff that I wanted to hear before I called him. Uh, so please, I encourage you, if you never heard that one, go back and listen to episode 422. We're going to close today with another one of Michael's original songs, one called Faith, Michael, before I let you go and I play that track, share with us all about this one, if you would, please. Oh, wow. Okay. Faith is the, the magnum opus, if you will. It's, it's the big finale of this project. Um, again, I wanted to do a body of work that was positive, but I purposely didn't want to use any religious veneer to it. That was the goal of the project. But I am a Catholic, and I'm a faithful Catholic, and so the role as a Catholic that, you know, God's mother plays in my life is a big deal. And so I wrote this song about uh, her, and the first experience I had of her in in praying and intercessory prayer, and how it gave me peace. And then, um, like, she kind of went away in a certain sense, you know, um, and I was wondering, where did she go? And I kind of had the sense that she would return again, you know, in terms of, 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 you know, feeling when you pray, things of this sort. And I realized that what I was captivated by about her wasn't so much what was in 
was her. It was what was in her eyes. It was whom she was looking at. She was looking at her son. And that's really, there's so much depth to this project. Uh, I certainly can't get into it in this hour, but there's that depth that I wrote lyrically. And so um, on, a, on a basic level, it's about a woman that captivates a man and calls him forth to a level of greatness that he didn't even know that he was really ever called to. And he wants to follow her, but he realizes that it's really not about her. Instead, she is directing him to the one who really is the one to follow after. And that's what's explored in this song. Of course, I wrote with all the colors, you know, the penny whistle and 52 plus string sections and horns and nylon and guitar. We threw everything at it. And um, it's just a great joy. You can hear it in my voice. I don't listen to my music really ever anymore. Um, but when I go back and hear that song, uh, it's hard for me not to kind of get a lump in my throat because I knew what was going on when we wrote it and when I got a chance to record it. Mm. I will say, though, that if I ever had a chance to perform that song live, that would be pretty awesome mm. to be on stage with all those musicians uh, performing something so epic. Um, I love to create things that are epic in scale um, in terms of where the message or the inspiration goes because that's what fuels a lot of my artistry, if you will, to reassure people and to lift them to a better place. And hopefully they'll glean some wisdom along some heavenly wisdom and be guided where they're supposed to be. Wow. Great stuff. Great stuff. Michael, congratulations. Virtues is releasing shortly and something new in me. We'll keep an eye out for that too. Thank you so much. Wonderful to have you. I now hear this entertainment. I appreciate you making time to be on the show. My joy. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Bruce. You bet. You bet. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, composer, multi-instrumentalist, producer, and arranger Michael McGlynn. As I mentioned earlier, you can preview his music on the website faceofmercy.com. And specifically, you'll want to click or tap into the music section on there. I will be putting a link to that site on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. And of course, look for the Virtues album anywhere that you buy music digitally. You heard him talking about it. The new album that he's releasing should be out very soon. Support Michael by looking for and purchasing that when it comes out. And remember that you can get in touch with him through the contact page of faceofmercy.com. Be sure to also check out sistinefilms.com to see the work that he is doing as a filmmaker. Folks, I do hope that you enjoyed the interview and that you like the show itself. If you want to extend a gesture to let me know as much, go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and look for the yellow logo there that says, buy me a coffee, and do exactly that. It honestly would mean a lot to me because it tells me that you like what I'm putting out each week. It does not matter where you're located. This is simply a way that we can have a virtual hot beverage together. You can even put a personal note on there for me to see. If you hear me say this each week, and are just kind of confused as to what it's about, simply go there and look to see how simple it actually is. That's going to do it for episode 469. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Michael McGlynn. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Faith.
search the oceans Just looking for a sign Of the one who first taught me to see Just like a child me from misery With an island sway made me sing into the night Like a man who's waited all his life As I stare sticking over all those memories Times I thought would never end The feeling of her comes up Sifting 